don't tell me why you can't. Like, literally, tell me 10 reasons why you can. I am an entrepreneur. Be inspired. We are incredibly powerful. Color outside the line. Open your mind. Dream big. Be bold. Take action. The narrative needs to change. We can fix this. We can change this. I know we can. Think broad. Think like a broad. Think broad. Hi, I'm Erica Dagnan, your host of Broad Mike Season 3. Today, we'd like to let our listeners know that right after this show, we will announce a special opportunity to get one-on-one mentoring with Broad Mike's founder, angel investor, and executive producer, Sarah Weinheimer. Please stay tuned until the very end for all the details. Today, I'm in the studio with Alicia Thomas, CEO and founder of Dibs, a digital platform that gives studios quick and easy access to real-time pricing for the boutique fitness classes their clients want. She's a former developer and was director of data strategy with Citigroup. Alicia will be discussing what she's learned while raising her seed funding, and she'll be providing her advice for female founders as well as her perspective as a woman of color founder in tech. So welcome, Alicia. Thank you, Erica. Great to see you. (laughs) It's great to see you again. Uh, So at least just so everyone knows, Alicia and I actually go way back. We were actually uh, in college together at UCLA. First roommates for the summer. Very first roommates in college um, and both in the engineering program at UCLA. Yep. So, you know, obviously you're not only a founder, but you're also an engineer. You know, can you tell us a little bit about what your experience has been like, particularly as a woman of color in engineering? Yes, from the perspective of a founder. Yes, absolutely. Um, well, both. I mean, you can start <laughs> off with, you know, you, were, you weren't always a founder, right? Right, so. right. So I would say that my perspective on the engineering side um, and being, you know, one of the only women, one of the, you know, very, very few people of color, people period of color, um, has been, you know, in, you know, prior to starting Dibs and starting, you know, my former company, it wasn't necessarily a challenge for me because it was something I had been used to my entire life. Um, you know, I grew up in San Francisco. I was very used to being a minority in most situations. Um, so it, it's, you know, as a as a working professional, it wasn't something that was particularly difficult because it was really what I was used to. Um, I think that once we get into the founder world of that and fundraising and, um, you know, it it was more difficult than I expected. It was literally the first time that I felt like, oh, I'm a woman. Oh, I'm black. (laughs) You know, whereas whereas a lot of times you you it's not something that you're thinking about on a day to day basis. And so um, when we're thinking about fundraising and we're thinking about um, starting a company and, and, you know, I remember people would say, you don't have a technical co-founder. And I'd be like, hi, I am. am You know, and it's it's not it's not to say that, you know, I was a developer for 10 years. um, Then I Uh, went to business school. And, you know, so there's been some time that I had been away from development. Uh, But at the same time, when you're talking about logical structure and the understanding of those things, like syntax changes, but logical structure doesn't really, you know, Mm -hmm. the way that you're thinking about uh, these problems. And so it was actually, you know, a thing that when you think about, like, how does it affect women? And they say, oh, you don't have a technical co-founder. Or, um, you know, I've had people say to me, like, 
you know, I'd say, oh, well, I'm going to build this site or, or do something like that. And they're like, well, who's going to build it? Well, I'm going to build it. And they'd laugh like, ha, 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 you know, and it's just like, well, let's not, you know, I understand that I might not have uh, the same current experience that you do, but let's not uh, discount the information that I do have. Um, you know, I have math, math major, econ, minor in computer science. You know, it's like that's not anything that's like completely untechnical. And again, developer for 10 years. Um, so on that side, it's it's challenging. But I think it's really important not to lose focus on what's the most important thing, is, which is that being a founder and raising money, especially a seed round, is difficult for literally everyone. Right. And so it's kind of like saying, I want to buy a an $8 million house, right? And And maybe a white guy also wants to buy an $8 million house. And let's say that his grandfather dies and leaves him $2 million, right? So he's $2 million ahead of me. But it's still really hard still to an $8 million buy. House. Yeah, it's still yeah. an eight million dollar house, right? So he might be ahead of me, but I, you know, it's challenging for everyone. And so, like, I choose, I try to really focus on uh, blocking out the noise mm-hmm. and just focusing on how do I get it done for my company. And you know, while it's totally relevant, of course it is, because at the end of the day, most of the investors that you're pitching to are men. Yeah. And most of them are white. Like, that's just the reality. Yeah. Um, I think that over the course of the fall, you know, talking to, I don't know, 100-something people, um, during that time, I spoke with two women. Mm-hmm. You you were one of them. Right. And, <laughs> and that's that's kind of crazy, right? Yeah. Like, when you, when you really start to understand, like, this world of uh, fundraising and investing, and from the challenge of a woman, like, the reason that I chose to focus on the fitness industry was because I felt that that was a competitive advantage that I had as a woman. Absolutely. The- well, well, let's talk a little bit about there. So, you know, one of the things that I think is so interesting about what you just said is that, um, you know, as somebody who I, I've never really spent any time, you know, working really on the technical side, but as somebody who's worked for a long time with, uh, you know, people who are trying to start tech companies to realize that, you know, as a director of strategy of data strategy at Citigroup and you walk in the room, people are going to assume that you know what you're talking about uh, versus absolutely as a woman and, you know, a, a founder of a company that's in the tech space yep. and you walk into a VC meeting, you know, there's not always going to be that assumption that, yes, she's the technical co-founder. She knows what she's doing. Right. Um, so it's a very interesting sort of new challenge that I'm sure you weren't used to dealing with. Yeah. Um, You know, the other thing that you mentioned that's really interesting is this idea of, you know, not only do you have to talk to 100 investors and only bump into maybe one or two women, Mm -hmm. but, you know, just sort of how normal this is that, you know, most people do have to talk to at least 100 investors before they find the right fit. Yes. So can you tell us a little bit about your experience, you know, and what things you think really helped you in, you know, your quest to find the investors that were the right fit? Sure. (laughs) That was such a long road. And, And I think that when we're thinking about people who are going into this Space, they need to be prepared that it is very, very normal to hear no a lot. And you have to get comfortable with the idea of people rejecting you. I think that as a woman, that was the most difficult part of it because we're not 
trained to hear the word no. We are, you know, especially as smart women, we have excelled in many other areas. You know, you and I have both gone, you know, to UCLA. We went to Columbia. Like we we have experience of like, no, I'm successful in whatever I try to do. And and then all of a sudden you're speaking to people and you're like, of course, well, look at this amazing, brilliant idea that I have. And they're like, I don't understand it. What are you talking about? Right. <laughs> and and it's it's almost it's so jarring that it's um it really messes with your confidence because it's one of the things that you just haven't been trained for it. Whereas men, on the other hand, if you think about it, they get rejected all the time, all the time, and they're like, <laughs> no big deal. Like yeah. moving on to the next one. And so for me, especially focusing on fitness, what I heard a lot was, oh well, you know. You think about companies like MindBody, for example, they have a $600 million market cap. And they're like, oh, that's nothing. That's 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 baby. Like unless it's a, you know, five billion dollar business opportunity, then we're not interested. Right. And that's part (laughs) of the, you know, the trick with the VC model, right, is that everyone's sort of out unicorn hunting while there are lots of amazing businesses that could be created. Yeah, that are that where there's a, a, you know, untapped value. And so for me, uh, the first challenge was finding people who understood and connected with the fitness industry, which was really going through and is still going through a time of massive change. Uh, So it makes it really interesting. But most of the people that are uh, consumers of the um, boutique fitness are women, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a big disconnect between the investors and the people who actually do it. And so that was the first piece for me that was challenging. Um, Once we, our big break you know, it, it's, I don't know if it's a break, but it, the thing that happened with our seed round that started things off was um, we were in San Francisco. We were having meetings as part of Dream It, the accelerator that we were in, um, that you were also, part, you know, working with. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and so we were in San Francisco and we happened to meet this company who had happened to have been looking at another company in the fitness space they had already gone through the, the d- due diligence process with that company, and then um, you know that company was acquired while they're d- doing due diligence. Oh, wow! That literally so set that off helps. our. It <laughs> helped a lot, and that set off the seed round, which which you know, and 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 it was still really difficult. So but, now you've pointed out one of the number one things that you want investors to have to get their money, which is what we call FOMO. <laughs> they need to have fear of missing yes. out before they'll actually write you a check. So yes. you had that on your side. Yeah. So that was actually the most helpful thing for us. They actually understood the space because they had looked at it before. Um, but from then, it was it was still difficult. You know, it was still painful. But we got through it. And I feel like it's one of those things that is necessary. Um, as a founder, you're going to come across so many things that are painful and difficult that you have to get through. It's like, to me, I look at it as a first test. And what do you think were some of the things that you learned, um, you know, during the process of trying to raise money, uh, you know, that you would go back and sort of tell yourself at the beginning, you know, particularly around, you know, pitching versus building relationships? I will say that some of the advice that we got from investors, even if they turned us down, some of that advice has been instrumental in building our business. So, what I would say to everyone who's looking at raising money is don't look at don't go into a meeting with the expectation of I want to get a check. 
go into the meeting with the expectation of, I'm going to have coffee with a really interesting person, and I'm going to learn something about them, and maybe they'll learn something about me. And that's it. <laughs> that should be the expectation because uh, whether you get a check or not, I, I can't, there's even the checks that we've received, there isn't necessarily a direct correlation between like, oh, this person, I knew that they were going to do it. And this person, I knew they weren't. It, it really is, you know, someone was feeling great that day. And, you know, someone else might take eight months to write a check where someone else meets you for literally 30 minutes and you have they've wired the money the next day. So everyone has a different thesis. Everyone has a different like way that they look at it. So as a founder, you should be looking at it as my everything is a step towards that raise. Right. You're giving more people the opportunity to get to know you. You're giving more uh, people, you know, you're getting more advice, you're getting more feedback. Your pitch is getting better because you're talking about it more. And and you hear it, you you hear yourself say something for the first time and you're like, that sounded terrible. I never, <laughs> or you know, that sounded great. <laughs> yeah, you know, but it gets better like as you the more and more that you say it and it also makes you more comfortable having investor conversations, which is about confidence. Like all of this is truly about confidence and having enough faith in what you're doing that you really really believe in it. And that has to come from your gut, literally. Yeah, so that is really good advice. I'd love to um start at the beginning though and you know, hear in your own words what inspired you to start Dibs? I know that you were, you know, working on something else at first and then you, know, you sort of went through some challenges to get here. So tell us a little bit about, you know, what prompted you to get into the world of entrepreneurship and, you know, how was Dibs born? Yeah. So that it was it was so um I felt it so strongly that I needed to have a company and it wasn't for anything else but for this I wanted control. And so I had had, you know, I'd worked for a very long time uh, in Los Angeles and in uh, New York, San Francisco. And I hated feeling like I'm going to be working hard. I, I'm, I'm also a very, very hard worker. I, I will pull five all-nighters a week if I need to. Like, I, I'm just like, especially from the programming, I just had that sort of, um, it's hard to turn it off, right? And so... I was going through this process and, you know, and I'm looking at where do I want to be in 10 years in my life? And I I saw my road, which was, okay, so maybe you're getting promotions, maybe you're doing that. But my upside was never me having control. And so I felt like I know I'm going to be working. But if I'm going on a business trip, I want to decide when I'm going on that business trip. I want to decide who it's important that I should meet, who it's not important that I should meet. And at the time, I had no control over that. I had, you're flying to, you know, wherever on Tuesday. And like, well, I, okay. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting in a meeting. No one wants to be in that meeting. I truly didn't feel inspired by it. I felt like if I'm going to be working, which I, you know, I know I am, I want to be doing something that I believe in, that I'm making decisions about, that I have control over, that there's not someone in another room deciding, is Alicia going to get a promotion or not? What's her bonus going to be this year? You know, I just, I felt like, you know, 10, at that time, I felt 10 years down the line, I want to be making those decisions. Um, And that's, that's literally, and especially as a woman, um, you know, and having children and things like that, 
having some sense of I can control this instead of my career is going to be jeopardized if I have children or, you know, things like that, which which a lot of women face in the corporate world. Like we, you know, know maybe sometimes I can't fly on Tuesday and stay until, you know, and and do that every single week because maybe I'd like to see my kids sometime. So this really gave you some control of your own destiny. Yeah, um, As well as, you know, some purpose because you were able to choose – You know, most people would rather work in the fitness industry than, you know, for a big behemoth conglomerate bank, right? Right. So can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what inspired you um, to start the first company, right, which was Kiwi Sweat? Yep. And, you know, how did that evolve into the current company, which is, you know, a much more technical approach to the problem, which is dips? Yeah. And so it it was really, you know, so— Kiwi Sweat was the fastest way for me to do something, right? And it's almost, uh, I had a former business partner, and we we were very naive in thinking. We said, you know, there's a lot going on in the fitness industry. Let's do something in it. And we were very naive in terms of how much work, you know. So Kiwi Sweat was, you know, it started out as a pop-up fitness company, and we said we were going to do all of these different events in all these different locations. Our first location was Chelsea Market, where we um, <laughs> had a spin studio for two weeks. We, uh, because we didn't know any better to be intimidated, we went directly to the top of, you know, who's the best spin instructor and went to this woman and she's wonderful, Lacey Stone. We're still uh, in touch. And we said to, she happened to have just let left Equinox at the same time. And we said, we're doing this thing. And she's like, you know what? Why not? And we're like, great. And so we did this. Uh, we hosted a, we set up a spin studio. We drove the trucks ourselves. We moved the spin bikes ourselves. Um, the manual labor process of it right. was awful. It's not all glamorous. No. <laughs> and And I think it was one of those things where if we had realized how hard it was going to be, thank God we didn't because we never would have done it. Um, there was so much that, you know, we were working at that, you know, it was just the two of us from, you know, we'd get there around 5.30 a.m. and leave around, you know, 9.30, 10 o'clock, clean off the bikes. And when I say we literally moved the the bikes and drove the U-Haul truck, we literally did that. I hit a car um, with the hugest U-Haul truck that you can drive without wow. a commercial license. Like, really, really crazy stuff. Um, so over the time, it was about four years, uh, the company evolved into becoming more and more thinking about, like, how can we, you know, our problem was our business model wasn't really scalable. And I set out to do something that was really going to be I wanted it to be able to be a really large business. Um, so I started to see opportunities around pricing, around, um, you know, this challenge that we kept talking to studio owners and they're saying, you know, we, we were like, maybe we can share and use some space. And they're like, no, we can't do that. But here's this problem that we're having over here. And I literally looked and I said, whoa, okay, so we're talking about data, we're talking about development, we're talking about fitness. Those are literally the worlds that I had spent time in. And it was like this perfect culmination of um, I have this skill set to be able to do this. And that's where it came from. So that is really cool. I mean, you know, and we'd love to, you know, learn more too about, you know, just sort of your experience with 
parting ways with your founder. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it absolutely was a perfect storm for you, this Mm -hmm. new opportunity, but not so much for for her. Um, (laughs) And we know that that's, you know, a big challenge that people face. You know, when is the right time to stay together versus part ways? And what are some of the challenges? I'd love to hear about, you know, some some of the challenges that you faced in, you know, pivoting the business to a newer, more scalable, lucrative market opportunity and what that meant for your relationship with your original co-founder. Yeah, sure. So my original co-founder and I um, obviously had worked together for four years, had become really, really good friends. um, And that was as I started to see this opportunity for an idea that was a truly uh, technical company. um, And we also got, you know, some feedback from investors and things like that, that the two of us together running uh, the new way that we were looking at, you know, the new opportunity of thinking about, you know, dibs. And and it wasn't even called dibs. We had no name, obviously, right. at that point. Um, it was, you know, so it was it was thinking about our skill sets and what we were bringing to the table. She she wasn't a technical person. Right. Like that's not um, to say anything bad there. There are people who have technical skills and there are people who are don't. And what we were really thinking about is or what I was really thinking about is is who's best for this company. And it's the worst thing in the world to have to um, separate from a founder who who actually is not someone that you're necessarily fighting with, who actually like you have the most respect for and who at at some point, you know, over the time of you guys working together has become a friend. Um, And so that's always difficult for any founders because you're looking at it. You don't want to hurt anyone, but you also are thinking about what is literally best for the business. And from that moment, I have changed um, my focus. Really, every decision that I make is about what is best for this business. There's you know, I say this all the time to my team. We have eight people. There's no one person that is above what's best for dibs. And everyone should know that because you can't be, right? Like if we're not working together to push this company forward and we're putting my needs before the the needs of the team, it's not going to be the right thing. Yeah. So it's, it's very difficult. Uh, so many people go through it. And, you know, it's like a divorce, right? Like, What would be your advice about, you know, some things that, you know, you wish you'd known maybe in advance to help the process move more smoothly? Like, what were some of the challenges that you felt you weren't prepared for and you wish somebody had sort of told you about in that whole disentanglement process? Um, You know, I don't I don't know that there's there's more that we could have. I think that I was prior to dibs or prior to uh, any separations, I was very focused on we're all friends. Yay. Like, isn't this fun? And really, when you get down to it, um, it's, it's of course, like we want to build companies where we have fun together. And, 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 you know, part of when we were talking about what was the inspiration of uh, starting a company, I was thinking, I want to start a company that I want to work at. And so, you know, of course, you want it to be fun. You want to like your coworkers and the people that are working alongside of you. But (laughs) what we really realize or what I realized is, well, there's no company if you don't have the right people that are helping to bridge the gaps that you have in your own skill set. Right. So my one of my strengths is not communication or 
I'm not a wordsmith, right? And so, you know, I've um, other people on our team, you know, I'll I'll say this is what we're looking to say. Why don't you edit and turn turn it into the Dibs voice, right? And so it's really about saying this is my skill set. This is where I'm really strong. Let me find other people who are really strong in other areas. And so that's the thing I, I would have been more conscious of as I was um, thinking about even the first company or, or dibs. But at the same time, it is such a learning process. And I don't think that, I think that some of these things you just have to go through. Yeah. You just yeah. have to. So, you know, one of the things that we want to make sure that we cover um, as, you know, number one, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing all this really valuable information with, you know, the wonderful um listeners in our audience. I hope that you guys got as much out of it as I did. Uh, I feel like I learned a lot today and I've known you for, you know, well, we're not going to say how long, but it's a long time. Um, And so, you know. Since we were 17, two years ago. Just a couple of years ago. Um, So, you know, now we just want to move on to what we call our pay it forward section. And we're going to devote just about a minute to making our listeners a little bit smarter with some of the knowledge that I know you're ready to drop on them. So, First uh, surprise question of the day, Uh, what are your primary sources of information? So, you know, blogs, apps, TV shows, podcasts that you might listen to? The podcast called Startup was life-changing for me. Okay. Any favorite book that you're reading right now or you've read in the last six months? So I just ordered um, the Elon Musk book, but I haven't started reading it yet. It's supposed to to arrive today. All right. Very cool. And uh, do you have any rituals or daily habits that you swear by? I don't know, meditation, brushing your teeth. I don't know. Totally. (laughs) So um, I run. Okay. um, Like, it's super important. Like it's almost meditative. Um, I do meditate. Mm-hmm. I do. Um, I have a bike ride that I do most mornings, okay. and so it's really to me important to like take That's why a you're step. In such good shape. <laughs> I love it. It's really important to take a step away, as you know, even even if it's just fifteen minutes or twenty minutes. It's so crucial to just walk away, and that's when ideas come, and right. you never know. Yes, absolutely. So who are three female entrepreneurs or leaders that you admire? Hmm. This is so cliche, but Oprah is a person. That's and a good one. No, but it's it's so cliche, but it's it's so true. And the reason I say that is because she's a black woman who really went after what she wanted and she didn't let people, you know, what people said about her stop her from doing something. So, you know, if they said, oh, you're not pretty enough. And she's like, well, I'm going to do it anyway. And I think that that is so crucial to understand and just approach um, from, you know, from, you know, just in life in general. Um, Actually, one of our investors who is Arlen Hamilton. Oh, great. And so the main thing that I, I, really appreciate about this woman is she had no VC background. She had nothing that said, you know, I know exactly what I'm doing. I have all of this money. She said, you know what? This is a problem. I'm going to start solving it the best way that I know how. Yeah, absolutely. What is the best advice that you've ever received? Just get on the road. Get on the road. Like build, literally, build that train track. Just start. <laughs> That's great. like period. Just start. Just don't, start. Don't focus on. Oh my God, I can't. What words of advice would you give to listeners about taking risks and closing the confidence gap? 
taking risks and I, I would say that, you know, confidence is a thing that I, you know, and I'll be super honest. Um, I am way more confident now than I was when I started, you know, a year ago on this company. And I have found that confidence is truly the difference between a successful meeting and an unsuccessful meeting. And it's, like I said, it's one of those things that you cannot fake. And so one thing that I would say to women, whatever it is, like men have this skill and and it's amazing to like just fake it and be like, you know, I'm just going to argue more confidently than you do. Okay. And so what I would say to women is get the confidence, right? Get the knowledge. You know, we've never been in such a time where you can teach yourself stuff um, from Google or YouTube or whatever it is. So the last question that I want to ask you, and this is a little bit more open-ended, is Mm -hmm. what does Think Broad mean to you? To me, it's really about, you know, what we were saying before, which is don't tell me why you can't. Like, literally tell me 10 reasons why you can That's amazing. Well, you took uh, the first step and you've taken a million steps after that and uh, you're killing it. So, you know, congratulations. And I just want to, you know, thank Alicia Thomas so much for joining us today, CEO and founder of Dibs. We're really blessed to have her here in the studio. So thank you, Alicia. Thank you for having me. We depend on your feedback to make BroadMic even better. We've posted a survey on our website at broadmic.com. As a thank you for your feedback, everyone who completes the survey online at broadmic.com will be entered into a sweepstakes for a chance to win a one-on-one mentoring session with angel investor and executive producer of BroadMic, Sarah Weinheimer. There will only be one entry per person, and the deadline to submit your survey is December 1st. We will announce the winner on the final episode of the year, December 15th. So mark your calendars to find out if you're a winner. Think broad. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. If you like what you've heard, please go to broadmic.com where you can subscribe to our show so that you never miss an episode. You'll also find show notes for today's episode and more than 30 interviews with successful women full of their stories and tips to help you start and grow your business. These episodes are a must listen for women entrepreneurs everywhere. Think broad.